Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. The New York Times writes this long story over the weekend. Politico writes a long story. And somebody's feeding them information. Now, it's very interesting. See, for me, I want to know what the substance of the story is, but I'm also wondering, well, who's feeding what information to whom? And why? So the New York Times points out that this guy, David Weiss, he was going to sign off on a deal where Hunter Biden didn't plead guilty to a thing. To nothing. Then the IRS whistleblowers came in and blew the lid off it. Now I want to, to remind you that during that hearing with those two IRS whistleblowers, two very brave men, there wasn't a single Democrat on that committee that defended them, that wanted to hear what they had to say. Not one. And this Dan Goldman in New York is a cover-up artist and wanted to cover up for the Biden crime family. And I want you voters to remember that. That's Dan Goldman. He thinks he's representing the people in his district. Well, do the people in his district support this kind of criminality going on and having their congressman try and kill it? So, David Weiss is corrupt. Now, I want to educate people out there, particularly in the media. When they say he's a Trump appointee, David Weiss spent his entire legal career in Wilmington, Delaware. Joe Biden owns Wilmington, Delaware. He owns the state of Delaware. It's a tiny state with a little over half a million people. Nothing happens in Delaware without Joe Biden knowing about it. He's an iron fist. Ah, Mr. Producer, what the hell's going on with this thing? Hold on, America. There we go, once and for all. So, for a U.S. attorney to be appointed in the state of Delaware by Donald Trump, first of all, he has so much going on when he first becomes president, it's probably not something he's really thinking about. Secondly, the head of presidential personnel at the time was John Boehner's guy. They made a huge mistake, did the Trump administration, in putting John Boehner's guy at the head of presidential personnel. Huge mistake. So they're probably cutting deals with Biden. Number three, if Biden doesn't support who Trump nominates, then Biden will block the nomination, effectively killing it. So when they say it's a Trump appointee, the media are lying and the Democrats are lying. Yes, Trump went through the mechanism, but everybody understands. Who understands how this works. That he's Biden's guy. He just happens to be a Republican, but he's Biden's guy. And that's been uh, proven. 
Uh, if he's not Biden's guy, it's a funny way of showing it, of not showing it. So he was prepared to cut a deal in which the gun violations, the tax violations, all the other violations would be scrubbed. They were just trying to figure out the language. And this New York Times piece talks about scores of emails going back and forth and pages of negotiations and discussions. And they were working with each other to come up with the proper verbiage and to try and use passive words rather than active words and to slip it into the, into the deal that they wanted to slip past the judge. Two things worked here. The whistleblowers and the judge. That's why when you have a judge like, I believe she pronounces it, Noriel. But the Wilmington judge, who's obviously an honest judge. She's not a partisan hack like the judge that's handling Trump's so-called January 6th case. And there's no evidence of any partisanship in her background. No statements from the bench trashing you know, convicted individuals, lecturing them the way Judge Chitnick did, whatever the hell her name is. She doesn't do that. The whistleblower saved the day, the judge saved the day. As a result, somebody's feeding information to the New York Times that is exposing this entire racket. Now, why would the New York Times run with this? Because somebody at some point is going to expose this. The New York Times has been in such cover-up mode for the Bidens, for the Clintons, for the Democrat Party, and for themselves over the century, and certainly the decades and in the past few years. That's what's going on here. Then Politico. Politico points out that Hunter Biden's lawyer, a guy named Chris Clark, quite the thug if you ask me. Of course, he won't be disbarred or investigated by any Democrat city bar committee. He said, look, you guys prosecute Hunter. I'm going to call the president to the stand as a material fact witness. And of course, what did he say? What did he mean by that? That President Joe Biden will be exposed for the crook that he is. And so they crumbled. The prosecutors at the Department of Justice crumbled. Again, what did the whistleblowers say? They thought they had a deal with the prosecutors at the Department of Justice. And then all of a sudden they killed it. They wouldn't say why, but they killed it. And then they were getting orders from the Department of Justice, obstructing their further investigation, preventing them from getting what they wanted to get. Remember the assistant U.S. attorney, remember her? She wouldn't agree to a search warrant, said it wouldn't look right. All of this is being orchestrated by Monaco, the Deputy Attorney General, 
and Garland, the Attorney General. They're in charge of the Department of Justice. None of this can happen without their say-so. None of it. This would be the same Monaco and Garland who are overseeing the charges against Donald Trump. The same corrupt minds. The same ones. Who are defended by retired Judge Ludig, by former Attorney General Barr. They're defending the same mob operation because they hate Trump. And they lie about what a great threat he is to democracy. Yeah, it's terrible. Been awful. It's amazing. Barr was the Attorney General of the United States. Tell me, tell me, Bill, all the time you were Attorney General under Trump, what laws did he violate? None. I assume Barr would have resigned if he thought he had. He was in charge of the Department of Justice. But now he's trying to get his cred back inside the Beltway, because that's where he lives, pretty much. So now we have Politico saying that Chris Clark basically threatened the Department of Justice that he was going to expose Joe Biden. He was going to question him about the laptop, question him about meetings, question him about phone calls, question him about all these things. Wow. Can't have that. Meanwhile, we're going to appoint a special counsel now to investigate Hunter, now that the whole thing fell apart, now that the whole thing's been exposed. And we're going to appoint the corrupt U.S. attorney, David Weiss. He'll be the special counsel, because we need a fresh look at this. Even though you're supposed to appoint somebody outside the government, as we've discussed over and over again, He picks the very guy inside the government who's been sabotaging from within the American people, the rule of law. Two major statute of limbs have already already fallen. The major tax evasion case and the potential bribery case. They're already gone. To this day, Hunter Biden has not been charged with anything. There's no indictment. To this day, I'm not even aware that there's a grand jury. What have I been telling you for months and months and months? Finally, some of the legal analysts on our favorite network have figured it out. Took them a little while, but they're there now, and that's good. This has nothing to do with Hunter Biden. None of it. It's Joe Biden. Joe Biden is the ringmaster. Joe Biden's the crook. Joe Biden has spent his entire life as a liar. An overachiever. Because politics puts some of the worst people in powerful positions. Like Joe Biden. And there he is. Shuffling around. He's got his Politburo running to government. Pushing his country over the edge. That is never Trumper supporters all over the place. These never Trumpers don't understand they're really never constitutional constitutionalists and patriots. They're just not. 
There's no way Bill Barr can be said to be a patriot or a constitutionalist anymore. No way. In the face of all this. So now, so now the media are also, just like the Department of Justice, they move around doing everything they can to trash this Judge Cannon in Florida. Why? Because she's an honest judge. Because she's not part of the party operation, like the judges in Washington, D.C. She has some questions about venue. Well, that's not a legitimate question. It's a 100% legitimate question. She has some questions about how Trump's supposed to defend himself without being able to see classified information. Seems pretty important to me. These are legitimate questions any judge would have. Any judge. At the same time, they're doing everything they can to protect Biden. They're doing everything they can to destroy who they believe will be the Republican nominee, or they don't want to be the Republican nominee. Or maybe they do with a lot of damage. Who knows? But they're singularly focused. And... And in the case of Trump, it's funny how they all want trials right now. Right now. No reason to delay this, particularly the January 6th one. Why? So they can then use their Section 3, 14th Amendment argument. And I want to ask you what I asked an hour ago. There's tens of millions of Americans who either voted for Trump, might want to vote for Trump, would vote for him in the future. You're going to disenfranchise them? Because a couple of morons got together and decided that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment blocks Trump from even running? As they sit in their basements and they write this stupid stuff? Don't even realize the consequences of what they're doing and saying? It's unbelievable. And do these clowns think it'll end with Donald Trump? Does Bill Barr think that his blunder busting all over the TV, that the arguments he's making are going to just stop with Donald Trump? Of course not. And I shall remind you that it's Bill Barr who, who gave all this authority to the U.S. attorney in Wilmington, David Weiss, in the first place. No judgment whatsoever on Barr's part. He always has an excuse. Always has an excuse. But he's the one who appointed this guy. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer 
Woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Now you heard what I read at the end of the book. The Democrat Party must be destroyed, not just defeated, if we are to survive as a republic. So when you hear people say, like Bill Barr, plagiarizing this show, that if the nominees are Biden and Trump, I'll jump off that bridge when I get there. He may have a buoyancy issue, so I wouldn't recommend that, Bill. But that just shows his ignorance and that he has uh, no, really no concern about the future of this country. And I would say the same about others. And, you know, I was critical of McCarthy. I didn't attack him. But, you know, he says, um, and he's not alone, by the way. There's many, so it's not just him. He's not going to vote for Trump should he be the nominee. And Trump can't win anyway. So what's the problem? And the country will be destroyed anyway. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we have men and women in uniform, often in secret, who fight for the future of this country. And they never give up. I had a grandfather who unfortunately passed away at the age of 78. who joined the Marines at the age of 34 after we were attacked at Pearl Harbor. He wound up seeing hand-to-hand combat on Iwo Jima. He fought in Guam. He signed up the same time, who signed up with him, rather. When he signed up, his brother-in-law, who went by the name of Tug, his real name was William, married to his sister, obviously, He joined the Marines as well, and he fought at Guadalcanal. These were two very tough men. Used to drive one of those old trucks from Germantown in Philadelphia to coal country in Pennsylvania, fill up their their rickety truck with as much coal as they could afford, drive it back to Germantown, where they would then go door-to-door and sell it. Because coal was used to heat up stoves and heat homes at the time. Now, of course, we can't even use natural gas. But you get the point. These were men who had little or nothing. And they loved this country. They were second generation. In the case of the Rubens, anyway, my grandfather. His father had fled... Russia. Oh, great Russia. And the pogroms. The age of 15 came to the United States. Loved this country. His son, my grandfather, loved this country. His daughter, my mother, loved this country. His name was Maurice. He hated his name. He went by the name of Mao. 
He went by the name of Mo. He didn't talk much about what took place in Iwo Jima or Guam. But as we got a little older, he spoke very briefly, and it was horrific what they did to our POWs on that island, on both islands. In the middle of the night, they could hear them screaming. They were being tortured. And so on Iwo Jima, they decided they were not going to take any prisoners alive. That's the way you used to fight wars and win them. Today, of course, they'd all be court-martialed and they'd be in a military prison. So when I hear people in this country who've never faced anything like that, never anything like it, and wouldn't dream of facing anything like it. Yeah, if it's between Bush and Biden, I'll jump off that bridge when I get to it. You know, if it's between Bush and Biden... I, excuse me, uh, uh, Trump and Biden. I'm not voting for Trump, and he's going to lose anyway, and the country's dead. You know, I think to myself, you got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. I can only imagine what my grandfather would say about what's going on. And by the way, he was a Democrat, he wasn't an ideologue. He wasn't even a liberal. He was a rock-solid conservative. But in Philadelphia, the part of Philadelphia he lived in, it was Democrat. So he was a Democrat. It didn't mean anything to him. And the Democrats back then were not the Democrats of today. They simply were not. They weren't Marxists, for God's sakes. They were not even John Kennedy Democrats, for the most part. They were more conservative. So when you think about what somebody like that had to deal with, we came back from the war, honorably discharged. For then and for our family, he's a big man. He was over six feet, two inches tall. He was very strong. Didn't work out. He was very strong. He'd been a boxer. An amateur boxer, just for the hell of it, he boxed. He was a tough man. Remember the first time I saw him, he wore a leather coat that went from, you know, the back of his neck and shoulders down to his knees, one of those. I distinctly remember this coat. It was tan. And he wore Stetson. And he talked like this because he lost his voice. While fighting on Iwo Jima. He lost his voice. And he never got it back. And when I knew him, of course he was a much older man, his hands would shake. They just shook. He didn't complain. They just shook. In other words, he wasn't the same man who came back. And neither was his brother-in-law, Teddy, 
who had massive hands. You could break your neck, snap it. He wasn't the same man either. The one thing he told me is one night on Iwo Jima, he was with 105 men. They split him up. It was horrendous. They couldn't dig in. It was volcanic ash. The Japanese were dug in in the hilltops there. Despite all the the firepower that had been sent into that island from the ships. So many of them were sitting ducks. And they couldn't dig in. They couldn't build foxholes and everything. And he told me that he was sent to get well to get more ammunition. And he came back. Out of 105 of them, there were about 20 left. He said it was unbelievable. Again, he barely ever talked about it. It was horrific. I learned from him, learned from my father, my mother, that we are blessed to be in this country. And those of us who sit on our asses in our air-conditioned homes, post things on social media, in the weeds, splitting hairs about the niceties of the law and documents, and whether Trump had his documents in the bathroom or in his closet, and whether he's committed the crimes of this century. For which he should go to prison for hundreds and hundreds of years. Makes me sick to my stomach. Sick to my stomach. I'm almost 66 years old. You know, the Vietnam vets... They're in their 70s and 80s, some early 90s. If they talk, they'll tell you about the horrific things they confronted in Vietnam with the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese, all supported by the communist Chinese and others. The torture, the horrendous jungle conditions, the mosquitoes, the snakes, the, the traps and all the rest. While they're being trashed by the Democrat Party and the left here at home, burning our cities, claiming it was on their behalf when they were undermining our war effort. Last time we had a draft. I don't think anybody in this country today would even understand what a draft is. About half of the people who were drafted would go to Canada. Whatever. They must be saying to themselves the same damn thing I just said except they're in the right to say it. You sent me over there to fight these communist bastards. 
I lost my wife, or I lost a big chunk of my life. I lost my best friend. I lost people. I didn't even know, but it was horrific. All the way in Southeast Asia. I was very young. Can you hear them? And look what you're doing to my country. Look at what you're doing to my country. I don't care if you're a former federal prosecutor with the Attorney General of the United States, the current Attorney General of the United States, the babbling fool in the Oval. I don't care. These people have no respect, none whatsoever, for the people who created this fantastic country and the people who defended it. And apparently it's asking them too much to use their various public perches, postings, columns, appearances on TV, appearances on radio. Apparently it's asking a little too damn much to stand up for this country. Mark Levin. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. Something big happened today, and it can't be ignored regardless of what else is going on, and that is the assassination of the head of the Wagner Group by Putin. Many conservatives are big fans of Putin, even though they claim not to be. Putin's an old KGB operative, as our friend Seb, uh, Sebastian Gorka tells us all the time. Ruthless, vile, Violent, anti-American. Always has been. Has murdered his way to the top. We have nothing in common with him. And if you believe in the first America agenda, then you don't believe the first thing to say is that America is threatening Russia, that America is imperialist, that America is colonialist, but for America. And that the Jewish president of Ukraine is a neo-Nazi, even though, A, he's Jewish and he lost family members in the Holocaust. If you believe in that stuff, there's nothing I can do for you. Seriously. You're probably in the wrong place, actually. Doesn't mean you have to agree with hundreds of billions of dollars going into Ukraine and so forth. It's not what I'm talking about. You got to know right from wrong, moral from immoral, evil from good, tyranny, totalitarianism when you see it. Anyway, we're not crying any tears here that the head of the Wagner Group was assassinated by Putin. But it just demonstrates what Putin is and who he is. Putin overthrew the democratically elected government in Niger. Niger was one of our closest allies on the continent of Africa. They allowed our special operations, our special forces to operate from there. We have intelligence activities there. We're able to land our jets there and so forth. Not anymore. Not anymore, because Putin overthrew that government. 
Putin has backed Syria and the slaughter that's going on over there. Putin's backing Iran, as is China. And, of course, Iran's backing Putin. I mean, let's, let's stop playing games. I mean, I don't understand the... Well, I do understand it. These cycles happen, like I said before. We had it prior to World War II, and the consequences were horrific. How many of you like Winston Churchill? Was he not a great leader? Was he not a tremendous leader? Well, Churchill kept warning about Hitler. Nobody would listen. Britain lost a lot of people in World War I. So did we. There's tremendous isolationism going on on that continent, as well as in the United States. The first American movement back then, led by the likes of Charles Lindbergh, opposed any support for Europe, any support for Britain, even as Hitler broke out and started conquering one country after another. We heard the same thing of the Sudetenland. That was always German. Oh, they speak German in so much of Austria. So, they, okay. Oh, the Czech, uh, the Czechoslovakia. Is oh, okay. Well, you know, they, uh, that, that, that threatens them. It's right on the border there. They have a right to... Same damn thing. Same damn thing. And we don't even listen to what Putin says, what he writes. He's already threatening Poland and Romania. And the Balkan states, like Lithuania, Estonia, and so forth. He's not hiding it, Moldavia. Oh, okay, he can have that. Okay, Crimea, all right, all right, Georgia, he can take half of that. He's already been doing it. If it wasn't for Ukraine, if Ukraine had rolled over and played dead when they were invaded, which everybody expected them to do, if it wasn't for the brave Ukrainians with our support and support of NATO countries, not troops, not even air cover at this point, just support against the great Russian military, against their long-range missiles, against their, their jets and their bombers, against their navy and the Black Sea. We might now be in World War III. Because there are red lines with triggers all over the place in NATO. It's the Ukrainians who have prevented World War III. Forget about Biden and his idiots. They have prevented World War III. Everybody has it backwards and upside down and inside out. They stand between... Putin and NATO. They do. They stand between Putin and Poland. Between Putin and Romania. Between Putin and the Balkan states. Between Putin and Moldavia and beyond. Anyway, circling back. So apparently this private jet, the Wagner Group boss, had several. He wasn't all that far from Moscow. He was apparently in between Moscow and St. Petersburg. Was shot out of the sky with a missile. Poof. 
shot out of the sky. Ten people on the plane, as far as we know, including three pilots. Now there's some people out there, well, we don't know if he's dead. Maybe they killed him earlier. No, no, he killed him. This is the way he killed him. There's no need to pretend he didn't. There's every reason for him to get as much propaganda value out of this as possible. And that was expected, wasn't it? You're going to march on Moscow with tens of thousands of Wagner troops, these hardened troops, these vile, vicious murders? And all of a sudden you're going to stop and turn around and you think you're going to have a run of the, of the country, just have a grand... Putin doesn't work that way. He's never worked that way. He's an assassin. He's KGB. We're going to have General Keith Kellogg on the program. And he's co-chairman of American First Policy Institute. Xi is the same way. Xi used to have a foreign minister about six weeks ago. He had been the ambassador to the United States from Communist China. He was extremely loyal. But he probably raised some questions about what Xi is doing on one matter or another. Raised some concerns, perhaps. And he's disappeared. What happened to him? What do you think happened to him? They probably took him out back and killed him. Remember the former chairman of the Communist Party of China? Who served his 10-year term? And of course, Xi's changed all that, as most genocidal maniacs do. Remember they pulled him out of that conference? The Congress that was meeting so everybody could see worldwide? What happened to him? He's gone. What do you think happened to him? Probably buried in a uh, shallow grave somewhere. That's what Stalin would have done. That's what Lenin would have done. That's what Mao would have done. That's what Castro would have done. That's what they all did. Well, you know, uh, you know, we're the threat to Russia. No, that's Russia's nukes are aimed at us, not Ukraine. They don't have any nukes anymore. And it is amazing to me how cowardly we've become as a country. The American First Movement, so-called, <coughs> prior to World War II, resulted in the deaths of millions of civilians and hundreds of thousands of American troops. Because the goal is to stop it before it starts. Mark. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. You've heard a lot of people go on and on and on about the debate last night. Rush Limbaugh used to say to me, but they haven't heard from you yet, Mark. So then in a few points on the internet, let me let me give you my opinions. It's not very complicated. I completely write off anybody who does not understand the nature of the enemy that we're facing. And it's not Donald Trump. Asa Hutchison to me sounded like 
the kind of bureaucrats I used to have to listen to at the Department of Justice. He did not agree that the military should be used on the border except for processing paper. That's not what we need right now. That's not going to work. He's a throwback. We have five million, some say six million illegal aliens who poured into this country. Something has to change. Chris Christie, honestly, did better than I thought. He wasn't as bad as I thought. And I'll get to Mike Pence in a minute because I think Mike Pence took the role of Chris Christie for the most part. But I'll get to this. Chris Christie really has no reason to be there. He doesn't have much of an agenda. He hasn't thought about it very much. Uh, I think he viewed it as a, perhaps, sort of a student debating society. I, I just don't, I don't see any lane for him. I don't see any reason for him. Uh, the governor of Bergam from uh, North Dakota seems like a perfectly fine man. I think he'd be a great Secretary of Energy, maybe Secretary of Commerce. Uh, I do like his federalism approach for the most part. But again, I'm not sure why he's there. That's three out of the eight, out of the eight. Now let's get to the tough part. Start with Nikki Haley. I think she presented herself very well. But something huge was missing. Massively huge. Whether you like her or not or agree with her or not. She almost didn't talk about her eight-year record at all as governor. She mentioned school choice, I think. I didn't hear anything else. She attacked the spending at the federal level. What did she do with spending at the state level? Did taxes go up? Did spending go up? I have no idea. Nor do I have the interest to even Google it and look it up. But she certainly wasn't running on her eight-year record at all. Which tells me it was milk toast. Because if she had a great record as governor, she would have talked about it. At least a little more than she did. Which was almost not at all. But I don't know exactly what she brings to the table in terms of a presidential run. I I do understand that she's a woman. She reminded us of that repeatedly. And I do take offense when people say, you know, when you want to hear people talk, you pick a man. When you want action, you pick a woman. Really? What about Nancy Pelosi? Last time I checked, and I've never checked, but checked at least reportedly, she's a woman. Kamala Harris is a woman. The governor of Michigan is a woman. So these bromides, these stereotypes, I'm just not into it. In the least, she's not Margaret Thatcher. If that's the impression she wants to leave. So that's my comment on that. Then we have... So that's, what, four of the eight, Mr. Producer? Something like that. I want to move to... uh, We had Tim Scott. Extremely likable. Very decent, very nice guy. I got to believe he's running for vice president. He didn't say anything he hasn't said before, here and elsewhere. 
which is okay. But it's really kind of hard to run for president as a senator when you're one of 100. And what do you do? You say, I sponsored this legislation or I voted for that and so forth and so on. That's great. But when you take the measure of the man, he's a good man. He's a good man. I actually think he'd be a very effective president. But I don't know for sure. That leaves us with three. Mike Pence, to me, last night looked like a lunatic. He was loud. He was obnoxious. He went over his time repeatedly. Was absolutely disrespectful. I think he did a better Chris Christie than Chris Christie did Chris Christie. It's a man I've known for decades. I've never seen anything like this. And then, I don't agree with the question... We're all supposed to pay homage to Mike Pence as the president of the Senate. Did he do the right thing or not? Oh, yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then there's Christie. We have to all agree he did the right thing. And then we have uh, Pence himself patting himself on the head, on the back, taking bows, kissing his own ass and all the rest. It's amazing to me. Not one person on that stage... Well, they all didn't have a chance, quite frankly. Raise your hand. Who needs to go to the restroom? I do agree that was ridiculous. But still, I thought the moderators were terrific under the circumstances, particularly those who kept interrupting, especially Pence. And by the way, afterwards, Pence whines that he doesn't get enough time, that the major subjects weren't discussed. I mean, he was the subject of like 10 minutes of it. I saw a side of him that I feel really is uh, repugnant. The other thing, he kept taking credit for things that Trump had done. You know, in the Trump-Pence administration, you know what a vice president does? Nothing. They sit there and wait for the president to die or resign so they can fill the slot. That's it. They have almost no constitutional duty except to be the president of the Senate. There's not another duty. None. Which is why a lot of people who are really effective or they've been leaders, they don't want to be vice president. Pence wanted to be vice president. So don't tell me he did all these things as vice president. The only thing I remember Pence ever doing, there's actually two. Standing behind Trump and smiling. And promoting Fauci. Those are the two things I remember, Mr. Producer. But he was utterly obnoxious. So that, to me, is a huge negative. And you can see all the never-Trumpers and the Democrats, they keep praising him, of course. He's the January 6th candidate. And I would say this to Mike Pence now. You say you upheld the Constitution? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Please cite to me the exact verbiage in the Constitution. Show us where it is. You claim to be an originalist and a textualist. That says what the powers of the vice president, that is the president of the Senate, what, the, what are the powers actually that he has or doesn't have when the electoral votes are being counted? The Constitution says nothing. Not a word. Now you may have done the right thing, but don't tell us that you were upholding the Constitution. You weren't upholding anything. 
And as I recall, you fought like hell. You didn't want to get in front of that grand jury that was investigating January 6th. And then executive privilege is denied President Trump. Then you go, you, you make your statements. Then afterwards, when the indictment is released and your statements are quoted, now, my God, look, he's the Hulk. I'm the one that stood up for democracy. I'm the one that saved the... Shut up and sit down, will you? But even that didn't matter to me that much. And we're down to two. Vivek and DeSantis. I don't trust Vivek. Why don't I trust Vivek? So many people, particularly my brothers and sisters at Fox, they're really swayed by him. Particularly President Trump. Loves the guy. Well, he should because... The guy's definitely 100% in his corner, and that's fine with me, but that's not my point. Why would he be a great president? How would he even get elected president? What are you talking about, Mark? With the slightest bit of research, not done by me, but done by others, which you have to expect. You got opposition research, you got the media, you got all kinds of stuff going on out there. He's flip-flopped on a number of issues already. And yet he stands out there and says, I'm not bought. I'm not a politician. The people want the truth. Now he says he's going to abolish five federal agencies. No, he's not. You have to have Congress pass authorizing legislation, in this case, to eliminate these departments and agencies. He doesn't have a magic wand anymore that Joe Biden has a magic wand when it comes to student loans. How would he do this? He won't. If he could have done it, Ronald Reagan would have done it. Reagan fought like hell to get rid of the Department of Education. It was brand new after Carter. He was blocked in the Senate by Republicans. And nobody had more influence over Republicans than a man who won a massive landslide popular vote and a massive landslide electoral college vote. So how are you going to get rid of this Department of Education? And here's my problem. It's like the gun control nut jobs and all the rest. When they're talking like this, they don't have an actual solution. Or we can't find an actual solution. When you're waving stuff in front of people that either you know cannot be accomplished or should know cannot be accomplished, I'm going to abolish the Department of Education. And parents have a responsibility to raise their children properly. I don't think we disagree with the latter, and we certainly support the former. But where's it going to get us right now? Nowhere. So I asked myself, has Mr. Revolution, he said, we got to lead a revolution. When did he come to this revolution? I challenge you. Go online yourself. Go wherever you want. Who is he? Go back three years, four years, five years. How about in Virginia when the parental rights group started and burst onto the scene? Did he participate? Was he involved in it? Has he gone to parental groups so far? 
Has he said, we need to lead a revolution, I need you to be part of it? Has he gone to the Tea Party groups that are still there fighting? He said, we need a revolution, I want to work with you. we got to fight it. Has he gone to pro-life groups and said, look, we need a revolution? This is the grassroots. It's not Washington. They're not all on the take. We're talking about millions of citizens who have already become activists. You've got to embrace them. You've got to figure out how to expand that base of activists. It's the bottom up. It's the grassroots. As much as I love it, it's not showing up on cable and Fox or even CNN or going to Kensington, Philadelphia or the east side of Chicago. I'm all for that, too. But that's not where your revolution is going to be led. Your revolution has to be led by people who are serious about saving the country. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. Try and keep an open mind, folks, as I go through this, and then disagree with me if you like. It's okay. But Vivek is the toughest to unravel, because he's a blank slate, or at least was. Tell me, let me ask you this. Just be honest with yourselves. 9-11. Who was responsible for 9-11? Al-Qaeda, right? With the backing of Saudi Arabia, right? So why would you even entertain conspiracy theories involving our own government? That's lunacy. 9-11. We know who the enemy is. We know what they did. That's playing with people's memories. That's playing with families that suffered from nine. What is that about? Seriously. You think you're going to get through a general election without being pummeled over something like that? But let's move on. Is it really that hard to explain how Israel's different than, say, Syria? Is it that hard or different than Saudi Arabia that Israel should integrate into the other Middle Eastern countries and that he's going to have that and accomplish it? How is he going to do that? We don't have any idea. None. First of all, it's a stupid-ass statement. Taiwan. Taiwan is going to show us how to manufacture computer chips. And then when they're done showing us how to manufacture computer chips, and we become independent when it comes to computer chips, then they're on their own. Do you agree with that? Seriously. And by the way, Vivek, don't call me anymore. I don't want any of these candidates calling me off the, offline. You want to call me on the show, call me. Don't call me or ask me to speak to you offline. I don't want to talk to anybody offline. I talk to my audience straight out. That's why Haley was able to nail him. Because his positions were so strange. Meanwhile, on TV, both on the left and the right, they play him over and over and over again. Why? He's good for ratings. Now, let me ask you this. You got one candidate on stage who applied to be and became a fellow for Paul Soros' organization, George Soros' older brother. You got another candidate on stage who has fired two 
George Soros supported prosecutors in his state. Does that mean anything to anybody? You're going to lead a revolution. How could you possibly have, I don't care if it's 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 weeks ago. At this point, you're really a mature person. Your mind is, is, is an adult. It's developed. You're making hundreds of millions of dollars a year. You're, you're an entrepreneur. You really don't know what the Soros family's up to? And one question he didn't get, why did you pay somebody to broom things off your Wikipedia page? I mean, have any of the others? I doubt they'd even get away from it. But here's my point to you, seriously, and I don't want to move on to DeSantis. You're 38 years old. You've made almost $700 million. And that is a great thing. You've had to build business alliances. So surely you understand as a nation we have to have allies, right? You didn't build all that on your own. You probably had to have some banks, investors, partners. But when it comes to Israel and Taiwan and countries like that, you take a different position. I'm also sick of this line. Sick of it. And by the way, too many of them use it. That I want to spend our money on our border, not Ukraine's border. Ladies and gentlemen, I remember when we used to be able to protect our border and fight the Nazis and fight the Japanese and fight the, uh, the uh, fascists in Italy. I remember all that. No, I wasn't there. Read about it. I remember that we as a nation were able to secure our border and give aid and support to our allies. I remember that. Don't you remember that? So let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. If we support an ally, whether it's Ukraine or anybody else, I guess, we can't build the Southern Wall? Is that what these pseudo-conservatives are actually saying? So we can piss away a trillion dollars in debt every single year, but we can't come up with $25 billion to secure our border? Because of support we give to other countries that are fighting wars that we may have to fight if they weren't fighting them? Are you kidding me? And by the way, I do reject the kind of John McCain, Marco Rubio, Lindsey Graham interventionist mentality. The Reagan doctrine is a doctrine that Donald Trump is used to. It's the Reagan doctrine. It's the most prudential and successful foreign policy doctrine in American history. Now to DeSantis. He wasn't very flashy, was he? He wasn't very flashy. I don't feel like he got a whole lot of time either, to be honest with you, because the guy next to him on his, I guess his right, or two, two over... Mike Pence wouldn't shut the hell up. He was the Chris Christie of the night. He was angry. He was obnoxious. He kept talking about himself. There's not a lot to talk about, Mike. Quite frankly, you're a vice president. And stop with the Trump-Pence administration did this. Trump-Pence administration did that. 
And then when it comes to January 6th, oh, no, 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 that's Trump, Trump, Trump. I saved the nation. Honestly, making a damn fool out of himself. It's embarrassing. It's upsetting to me. I knew the guy. And no, I don't want to talk to you either. So there's DeSantis. Good-looking guy. Whether he's the best-looking on the stage. Doesn't really matter. Well-spoken man. Certainly doesn't have the flair to speak the way Vivek speaks. Very few people do. I think Barack Obama is another one who did, but not but not the governor of Florida. It's okay. But why did he stand out? Because he had a great one-liner? I don't think he had any great one-liners. Because he was a dynamic speaker like Ronald Reagan? No, I wouldn't say that. This is what TV focuses on. This is what commentators focus on. In my humble opinion... Why did Ron DeSantis win that debate? He was respectful. He was decent. He came across to me like an Ohioan. Like the blue-collar gentleman he says he is and how he was raised. But even more, why? That's not enough, right? Because the man has already led a revolution. He doesn't talk about the revolution he's going to lead. More than anybody on the stage, he talked about what he did in Florida. Florida is the freest, one of the most populous, one of the most vigorous, states on the face of the earth when he got there it wasn't that way he completely changed the political dynamics of that state where candidates including Trump were worried if they could win by a percent a tenth of a percent maybe two percent now the Democrats write it off in one term as governor in one term They all talk about school choice. The most extensive school choice program in the United States. Two places, Arizona and Florida. But Florida is a massive state. They talk about breaking the back of the teachers union. He did. He did. They talk about, we don't want our kids taught about sexualization. We don't want them to talk about critical race theory. In the he ended it. He stopped it. There's not another person on that stage that can say any of these things. None of them. We talk about the corporatists and wokeism and what they're doing to our country. He took on America's darling, Disney, that had been devoured by left-wing corporatists out of L.A. 
went toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose with them, did something that he took a lot of heat for. He went after Mickey, for God's sakes. And many people on that stage attacked him for it. Why did he do it? Because they were trying to use their corporatist, wokeism power to stop what he was trying to do in the classrooms, education, not this other crap. And he said, you know what? California doesn't get to come into Florida and do that to us. The pandemic. If he wasn't the first, he was pretty damn close to opening his state, keeping his schools open, rejecting mask mandates. He had, because my family and I benefited from it, he set up all over the state, all over the state, through volunteer firehouses, through community centers and everything else. Monoclonal, if you wanted it, shots for people who got COVID. Wasn't approved by the federal government. He said, I don't care what they approve. My scientists, my expertise, I read it. I know it works. By the way, it did work. He looked at the science. He said, the only people right now who should be getting vaccines are people with terrible morbidities and the very elderly. And so he prioritized it. He didn't do what the governors of New York did and the rest. These blue state governors and some of these red state governors, you saw real Marxism and fascism. Going after churches and synagogues and mosques. Literally tracking license plates for people parked in these mega churches. So they could arrest them. None of that happened in Florida. He passed an entire Bill of Rights for parents in Florida. He invited police from other states to come to Florida. He would give them a bonus. He said, law and order. They passed very tough laws. They saw what was happening all over the country. Cities burning. So he put maximum penalties in there, sentences in there. Not one major city in Florida burned. Not one. Now, why do I say this? Because for a good chunk of the year, we live there. When somebody talks about he's going to lead a revolution and he's never been on the playing field before, with $650 million, God bless the guy. He's not really invested in grassroots efforts or anything like that. The only thing we see is the Soros can have this. A complete blank slate is not worse. But he can talk, man. And then you look at a guy who doesn't have the gift of gab, and you hear the commentators have about four weeks of experience themselves, and they say, you know, this other guy connects. This guy doesn't connect. Not one of them lives in Florida. Not one of them. Because when you live there, you know he connects. He won the debate last night. Because when he says he's going to do something, the evidence is he'll do it. He's not a BSer. He will muscle his way through the system and he will beat the system. 